0: Cotney Construction Law is dedicated to helping the construction industry in legal, risk, and safety challenges. Welcome to this week's Law & Mortar with John Kenney and Trent Cotney.
1: This is Trent Cotney with Cotney Construction Law, and I've got John Kenny as always with Cotney Construction Law and Cotney Consulting Group, and we've got a lot of interesting topics that we're going to talk about today. Uh, John, as you know, we had an issue out on a job site this weekend, it was a TPO job I had to go out there on Saturday, take a look at things. And uh, one of the things that you and I have often talked about is best practices for TPO jobs. Obviously, it's uh, something that a lot of commercial contractors are working with, that type of system. So uh, in your experience as a roofing contractor, what would you say that people need to look out for uh, when doing TPO jobs? What are some best practices and things like that that you've seen out in the field?
0: Sure. Well, it sounds simple, but actually, one of the most easiest things to have a problem with is improper welding. You may think it's welded, but it's really not. And that's why they call them cold welds or false welds. They see them welded at the end of the night, and then um, and the instant happens, you get rain, and then all of a sudden the temperature changes, the sheet moves, the weld pops, and you've got a lot of water that enters into a building, which is not a good thing. So one of the first things to do is always make sure that your heat gun or your seam gun is properly at the right temperature and you take the time to do a test weld. There's nothing more important than taking a test weld if you're running a a heat machine onto the roof where you take it and do it in a separate area, test your weld and make sure it's welded properly, then you know it's at the right temperature to actually weld the roof itself. If you're hand welding, which a lot of times you are, especially around detail work or walls or smaller areas or the starts and stops of the machine, You want to make sure that you're always tacking the back side of the seam first so that when you're putting the heat on it to weld out towards the front side of the seam and you're using your roller at a nice 45 degree angle you're actually trapping the heat in there so you get a nice smooth consistent weld and not a cold weld situation. And then you always want to make sure you probe. Proper probing is so important to make sure it's done. The sheet should be cool to the touch make sure it's sealed and then Put your probe in at the right angle, do not dig into the sheet. I know some manufacturers like to see it be dug in and some don't, but if you can just easily take your probe, push it up against the seam around your flashings and you cannot poke in and you have to actually go back and forth, kind of do a little visual, put it in there and go and actually pull along the seam and then if it doesn't pop anywhere you know you're in good shape. That's what causes most of the leaks
1: yeah and i think that is probably what caused that leak on saturday that um that i was out on but uh we'll we'll see about that um you know one of the other things that uh that we've been dealing with lately is um uh, contract issues related to liquidated damages and john i know you know back in in your contractor days you experienced a lot of issues with this and for those listeners that don't know what liquidated damages are, let me explain just kind of generally what they are and how they work. Um, liquidated damages—it's usually a clause in your contract, and it's from your customer, and it says that you've got X number of days to complete a project, and if you miss that time frame, let's say it's 180 days, once you get to 181, then there is a set dollar amount that you are fined per day for being late. Okay could be 250 bucks, could be a thousand dollars, could be anything like that. And one of the biggest issues that, that uh, roofing contractors and contractors in general uh, have on projects is the assessment of liquidated damages. So John, one of the things that's really interesting that we're kind of seeing right now is with COVID-19 and all the delays, even though construction has pretty much been an essential business in almost every state, you've got a lot of delays on projects. There's just things that people didn't anticipate. There's everything from you know, your normal weather to uh, material availability to getting uh, vendors and contractors and consultants and other people out on the field that you need to have in order to move your, your work forward. So all this has kind of caused some delays and what I wanna do is is give some self-help tips on how to navigate liquidated damages Uh, to our listeners. But before I do that, John, what's been your experience? Have you, you know, have you ever had any experiences with customers assessing liquidated damages and how did you deal with that out in the field?
0: Sure. Um, Overall, track record's been pretty successful, uh, never having liquidated damages at the end assessed. But sure, I've been in a situation where they've tried to assess them uh, the biggest thing that you want to make sure you do throughout the project is have proper documentation. There's nothing more important than you go back on is your daily job reports that you, if you're working directly for owner or if you're working through general contractor, you want to make sure you submit them in on a timely, proper manner, depending on whether it's in the contract at a certain time or if not, doesn't specify. Make sure you do turn them in and you've got a record of it. Then if you do have a delay, which should be documented in that daily report, then you want to follow up again with an email stating the fact that you had these delays that were no fault of your own, which then gives them a chance at that point to come back and either dispute what you're saying, or for most times, they usually don't pay attention to it when you submit them in, but you've started to build your case right along the entire way of the job. Do not wait till the end of the job to try to go backwards and re you know, reconstruct this. It will not work. You're gonna lose that battle every single time. Do it on a daily basis as you go along. Example, another trade holds you up. They were supposed to have something ready, even though it may not have impacted you of what you you know, to a financial standpoint or even delay, document it because you may get impacted later on by somebody saying you held them up. And then at least you've already got this documented that you have been delayed so you have a fighting chance of getting ahead of this. So no matter how simple it seems or how um, you know little it seems, just document it. You don't have to make a big deal about it, but get it in writing, take a picture of it if it's one of those photo situations, submit it, and then you're ready at the end for the battle, if there is one.
1: And that's some some great advice. And I think that's that's the whole point of law and mortar right here, is that you we're getting the real world from John, the the how it works out in the field and from my standpoint when I'm looking at it from from a legal standpoint there's a lot of things that I like to look at when I'm trying to challenge the assessment of liquidated damages and it happens all the time it's like John said I'd say I see more attempts to assess it than I see them actually getting assessed now if you're doing roadway construction or horizontal type uh, construction I tend to see it a lot more than I do vertical uh, because vertical you can sometimes figure out a way to get from point A to point B um, here 's some things to look out from from a legal standpoint. okay, keep in mind that liquidated damages uh, in most states uh, it cannot be a penalty. it cannot be a punishment and I know you 're probably saying Trent, all liquidated damages are a punishment and a penalty well here 's what I mean by that is is that liquidated damages are designed to replace whatever your actual cost would be because you can 't figure them out okay that 's the point of it is that your actual damages are too speculative, so you have liquidated damages. You have a set fee there, so that you can figure that out. Okay, if it is too excessive, then courts may say, "Look, this is is a penalty, and this is not a true assessment of what your damages could potentially be." Okay, what is that? You know, I've seen some courts throw out 30% or more. Uh, I've definitely seen courts throw out 50% or more. So you want to look at what percentage it is, based on the type of work that you're doing. Okay, next thing that you want to do is you want to really drill down into the number of days. And the way to defeat a liquidated damages provision is to start shaving off days. So, how do you do that? Okay, like John said, uh, most commercial contracts have change order requirements that require you to also submit time extensions. And you definitely want to do that throughout the project. It doesn't matter if it's a rain day. We're overcast today. I don't know if we're going to get rain or not. I don't think so, but I know over the weekend we got some. Anytime that you're supposed to work and you can't work because of weather, you want to submit that that time extension request so it boosts the number of days out, even if you don't think it's relevant at the time. Okay. Next thing that you want to do is you want to think about um, concurrent delay. Okay. So if you're not the sole cause of the delay, if someone else is also a cause, let's say the HVAC contractor or the mechanical contractor, or the general contractor, or whatever it might be, also delayed the project, that may give you a potential defense to the assessment of liquidated damages, because it's not solely your fault, okay? Next thing you want to look at is excusable delay, okay? And excusable delay can be things like weather, but when I think of excusable delay, oftentimes I think about um, owner-caused delay, okay? Uh, You know, inability to access a job job site, um, you know, if this were a Owner that is purchasing materials directly and they're not on the job site when you need them all of those types of things may help give you more days which this is what the liquidated damages argument is it's all about number of days so if your magic number is 180 and you're at 189 all you got to do is gain nine days that's it okay so if you can figure that out then that is the difference between being assessed and not being assessed now as John said Party where the best paper wins the day. You have to do this throughout the project, okay? You gotta use, at a minimum, use email, follow the notice provisions in your contract, okay? If the notice provisions say you've got to send it uh, you know, via telegram to John Smith in Wyoming, then you need to do that, okay? Whatever the contract says, you gotta follow because if you don't, then people like me on the other side are gonna say, nah, this isn't gonna work, okay? Um, and then what I, what I really think you should do is, is pace yourself through the project. It's always the stuff nobody foresees being assessed liquidated damages when they bid, right? Nobody sees that. Okay. It's always the unforeseen that causes LDs. So you really want to think about it, especially in these times, as you're bidding new projects, take the time to really think about how many days you need, especially given how difficult stuff is now. Okay, Even if you can work. It doesn't mean that all the vendors, contractors, suppliers, everything else that you need can. So take that into account. Try to shave off or reduce the penalty amount and liquidated damages. Consider making an LD provision reciprocal. Okay, I'll say that again. Consider making it reciprocal. So if you beat the deadline, I'm using the 180 days example, you get X. You know, if it's $250 every day you miss it, it's $250 every day before that day that you get. That incentivizes you to get work done quicker. And it's also a fairly easy sell to the customer, especially if they want to get the job done. Okay. And then finally, you know, if you can remove an LD provision altogether, do it. But that's always a difficult thing to uh to Mm -hmm. try to strike out of a contract. So, John, what I want to turn to now, I guess, is I want to talk a little bit about uh using analytics and um, you know we're big on analytics here and one of the things that that I personally like analytics for uh, is it allows me to kind of predict the future and um, one of the things that I'm looking at if we're going into a new market or if we're uh, exploring an, a new area whatever it is I want to know what the date is because that allows me it's not just a gut instinct anymore it allows me to actually put pen to paper and say okay This is a worthwhile investment. You know, I know you're a big analytics person, John, you and I talk about it daily. You know, why don't you talk to the audience a little bit about using analytics and how,
0: how that can be used to transform a business? Sure. Yeah. Analytics, a nice thing about your data in any company, whether it's your sales data, your financial data, or your production data, no matter what it is, your history will give you a projection into your future. So what that really means is when you deep dive and do your analytics on your data, unless you change something or make a, maybe you don't wanna change it, maybe it went well, but if you do the same thing you've been doing based upon your, your data results, you can project your future out pretty accurately. It's not gonna change. Now, for example, on a sales data, if you crunch your data on that, you have your close ratios and you may have your market analysis data, and you want to change it then when you do your deep dive you look at areas for improvement or areas that you can change or make a difference add someone different whatever that may be then you know you are adding another mix in there that will change the outcome so hopefully good you know depending on what your decision is but I knew like, when we're going into a new market, um, and any any company can use this going into a market, you know where you're most successful at, where you're currently doing, where areas you're working in, the type of customer, the type of work. So when you go into that area, say you're successful at with this type of customer and that type of work, particular work, whatever it is, and you go into an area that doesn't have that customer and doesn't have that type of work, and you're not good at the other items, you're probably gonna have a failure in that marketplace. But if you've taken your data and you know what you're good at and you pick markets based upon that or areas or types of work or profitability and you pinpoint into those, you absolutely will be successful. So you can also do it on your operational side for efficiencies, that's a great way to deep dive into your data and definitely financial works, you know, not so much for market share for financial, but it'll give you the health in the welfare of your business. So data, I love data. It doesn't lie. It's just there. It's there for you to do with it what you're able to do with it. Yeah. Data gives you the
1: bullets for your gun. That's how I look at it. And, you know, if you're salespeople, if you're estimators, if you're, you know, C-level people in your company, if they're like me, they just want to go out and get it, right? That's, they're just hustling. They're just going as hard as they can. But what data does is it helps drive that train it helps push it exactly where it needs to go okay and uh, that's why i like it so much because it helps reinforce what my gut is telling me. you know many of you out there if you're in construction you've relied on sort of your gut instinct and i always say to be in construction you have to be a little bit of a gambler to begin with but this allows you to kind of beat those odds a little bit because you're using the existing data you know, whether it's it's marketing or sales or past customer experiences or profit margins, whatever it might be, that helps put rhyme and reason to what you know is true. And that's that's it's it, at a minimum. It's reassurance. And that's why I like it. So uh, I, wanna, I want to I want to John, you got anything else on that before we.
0: Well, it was a good point you brought up about gambling. There's no doubt that the being in the construction and roofing and other areas of construction, you are a gambler. But that being said, we all know when you go to Vegas or a casino, the, you know, the old saying is the house always wins. If they didn't, there wouldn't be a house. So one thing data does, if you analyze your data, it puts you in the position of being the house and not the one actually rolling the die. That's where you want to be.
1: Mm-hmm. You want to be
0: the house and data will get you there. And then you'll, you'll, the odds will take you, you will win more than you lose. And that's, that's the goal in this business.
1: Right. Data allows you to count cards. <laughs> so uh, that's going to end our second episode for Law and & Mortar. And what I want to encourage everybody out there is if you've got topics that you'd like us to discuss, whether it's you know legal or business or construction related, please let us know. Re- you can reach out to me at tcotney at cotneycl.com, Reach out to John at jkenney, that's K-E-N-N-E-Y at cottneycl.com. And we look forward to talking to you guys next week. Thanks.